I want you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. Let's go to some old familiar passages, verse 32 through 34. Actually, 32 and 33, and we'll come back to 34 shortly. These are interesting and important words. He said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. So how do you say we shall be made free? Let me go ahead and read verse 34. Jesus answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So he's not talking about being bondage to some man. You could be, or to some system, and you could be. But Jesus is talking about something is common to all of us, which is sin. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, the interesting thing is that if we're not free, then in some degree or in some way, we're bound. Isn't that true? And if we don't get free, if something that can make all of us in this room free from anything that holds us back, holds us down, defeats us, suppresses us, or just overwhelms us, and we just can't get I just can't. Anything like that that does that, you can be free from. But if you don't get free from it, Christianity will fall far short of what you've been told it should do and should be. In fact, it can go so far to say isn't that my people, Hosea 4, 6 said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Think of it. Knowledge is here. Everything a man needs to know that God wants him to know is already given. How then can somebody have such a resource laid before him and not partake of it? It's one word, sin. And all the things that sin does and all the ways that sin captures our affections turns us in different directions, that's the reason why we never get free. We could be, we should be, we ought to be, but not all Christians are. There are Christians who are fighting the same battles today they fought 20 years ago, and nothing's ever changed in 20 years. The same weakness that held you down back then still holds you down. Now, see, that's bondage. Isaiah 5.13 says it like this. He said, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. If you just knew something, we're going to talk about knowledge this morning. You know, there's two ways to know things. You can know something academically, and you can memorize an answer to a test or a phone number or direction somewhere, but next week or next year, you have no clue what that was. You once knew what it was, but it was not anything you wanted to keep knowing. It's like going to church. We've heard things. We just didn't keep things. We were too busy with other things. 
Something inside of us told us we didn't need all of that. It wasn't so vital right now, or you're not ready for that. And so we let things slide, or we don't pay attention, or we don't give, as the Bible says, a more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, so those things slip. And people wonder, how could I have been in church for 20 years, and I don't even know the books of the Bible? How indeed? How indeed? See, there's a knowledge that visits, and then there's a knowledge that's resident. It stays there. You want that knowledge. I want to know this. I want to make application of it. I want what I've just learned to be real to me. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to keep it in my mind. I'm going to memorize it. Meditate, as the Bible says, on it daily. I want this to be a part of me. I want my life to display that. That's the kind of knowledge that we're talking about this morning that makes you free. We're so satisfied that we go to church. We're so glad to be able to say our church, we preach a Bible, we've heard. But, you know, that doesn't mean you've learned anything. It doesn't mean that you have changed your life, hasn't changed because you go to that church or you've heard that sermon or those sermons. There is something that has to connect between a man and God when God speaks. Otherwise, we can sit back and say, yeah, I heard that. I remember, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. And it goes right over your head. You start thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow, where you're going to eat today, and, and what activities are this or that. And you begin to daydream because of the effect of sin. Something that has been able to get into your life, find a dwelling place, and rule, and control, and manipulate. Sin doesn't mind you being here. It doesn't mind you reading your Bible every morning and trying to memorize it. Just don't do it. Just have a reason you cannot do it. You're not ready for that. That's over your head, and so forth. And so the Bible tells us here that a man can be saved. And the saved man can need deliverance. See, that doesn't register, does it? Jesus said to his people, to us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Does that mean that all of us need to be set free from something? We'll never be set free from that something until that something is identified. You can't be set free from something that has no name. Or that you're not aware of. You can be saying, well, I need deliverance from what? Uh, just a bunch of stuff, I'm sure. It doesn't work like that. The Bible speaks of sin that so easily besets us. Nothing to it. It is such a persuasive system that the devil has. And he's conquered everybody in this room. He left nobody that he didn't conquer. Every one of us, all we like, have gone where astray. There is none right, not even one. Sin has had dominion, mastery, lordship, rule over every one of our lives. We've got free from some things. Some things were so disgusting that we had to deal with it. We couldn't go a step further until we dealt with it, and we did. But so many things 
So many things we just let slide. And God tells his people in the word that there are things in your life that keep you from being free. That everybody that comes to Christ has things or a thing or something in your life that really needs to be dealt with. Something that keeps Christian character from just flowing out through you. Something that found its way into your life a long time ago, settled in there. You got used to it. You got comfortable with it. You assumed it's just going to be this way. I mean, nobody's perfect. And you live with it. And it's affected your marriage. It's affected your relationships. You are known by by this quirky thing in your personality or your character. Well, you know, he don't say that around her, boy, she'll just have a fit. She's a Christian, yeah, but she'll have a Christian fit. Hadn't she been in church for 20 years? Yeah, but she still has that problem. Just don't say nothing around her. Isn't there something wrong with that? Isn't there something wrong with this? Jesus said, you shall know the truth. You remember Paul once wrote, and it's still in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 7, he said, you don't have to turn to this. He said, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, that's familiar. Paul said, having therefore these promises, all these promises, things we can attain to and partake of, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Well, aren't we saved? I'm not talking about being saved. I'm not talking about the penalty of sin. When you got saved, all your sins were forgiven. From the east to the west, God separated you from your sin. Jesus said, I've came to seek the lost, to forgive men of their sin, to make it possible for God to forgive sinners by offering himself as a sinless creature unto God on the behalf of man. And if you'll believe in him and what he did for you, God will save you. And when he saved you, he saved you. But the effect of sin. Not its penalty. That's dealt with. We're talking about saints, not ain'ts. But every saint that comes to Christ, you've been forgiven. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Free at last, free at last. Somebody once said. Now, what then could I possibly have a problem with? All those years you learned to sin. All that stuff you tolerated in your life. Education. All the stuff that somebody taught you, somebody you really wanted to learn from, taught you all the wrong things in your life. Be all that you can be. Don't die to self. And a lot of things that you just aspired to, you learned as a Christian. The Bible says, no, 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 no. You've got to deal with that. You can't act like that. You can't talk like that. You can't dress like that. You can't go to those places and run around with that crowd. That's all you've ever done is seek acceptance and seek praise and do stuff. You know, if you were a basketball player, you want to be noticed. That was a good shot, wasn't it? How hard is it going to be for that young man to humble himself to the mighty hand of God and admit 
He is nothing. He's been trained like this. He's trained to be cool. He's trained to be there. We're trained to be insecure. We're trained to be nasty and ornery. The system has trained us. Who do you think is behind the systems of man? The devil. And how then does the devil have mastery over anybody? Sin. It masters us until it's identified. We, through the preaching of the word, we come to realize if you're willing, this, if you don't admit your problem, you'll never get free from it. But you admit that you have a problem with lying. It's hard for you to just tell the truth. Because if you stretch the truth, people think some little more highly of you. You know, the fish that was this long is the story is this long. The deer that you deer hit by a car that you shot while it was wiggling, boy, he was running, you know. It's just hard for us to admit that we are exactly what the Bible says we are. We are as criminal before God as he says we are. Our sins make us as loathsome before him as he said they do. That's what he said. And this is the way it is. Now, when we steal, when there is lust in our lives, anger, when we're so negative all the time, we're against and nah, yeah, yeah. And all of these things happen when we pout all the time, when there's just foolishness all the time. Look at what the television offers the world today. Everything from video games to literally with a capital S, stupid stuff. The dumbing down, or I wouldn't know it'd be the dumbing down of America as the stupidifying of America. How's that for a new word? Stupidify. Stupefy means something else. I, whoa, but stupefy means <laughs> like that. See, it's a goofy age. Some have called it the goof-off generation. Everybody wants to dress goofy, act goofy, and do goofy. Who is behind that? Now the church wants to be cool. The church wants to come in and flip flops and cut off. Hey, what's going on, man? Let's preach the gospel. And there's nothing holy. There's no dignity to much of anything that is of God anymore. And if anybody deserves dignity, it's God and honor. But, oh, I've tried to stop doing that. I've quit, man. I've so every January 1st, I mark my calendar. I will not do that anymore. And I keep doing it. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul wrote. How can I ever be set free? Only one way, folks, is Christ. But that in itself doesn't mean you'll get set free because you have to know what he said. Not only what he said about you, but what he offers to fix you. If you don't get an understanding, then knowledge was incomplete. You can know anything you want to, but until you grasp it, until it becomes something fixed in your heart, abiding, it'll never do much more than just make you think about it. But it's when it's knowledge that God wants you to have, you begin to act on it. So then how, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth will make you free. How? How does truth make me free? 
Because every one of you are bound on this front row here. Every one of you need have things you got to deal with. Every one of you, you too. You got stuff you got to deal with. So you can talk to your grandchildren this way. Everybody. Y'all. Everybody. How then to learn what this means? How then can we know the truth? And how then can the truth make us free because obviously he wouldn't have said that if there wasn't things in me that kept me from being free if we don't need to be set free he well, there's no reason for this verse he could have just said if you're born again you don't have no more problems and you can just find you a seat in a pew or a chair somewhere and live that way the rest of your life and what he said he said you got to deal with things in your life like the mind. Doesn't your mind have to be renewed? Didn't he say that? Then there's a problem with our thinking. Didn't Paul say, as a devil beguiled Eve by his subtlety? That's sin. He said, so that your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Your mind is what you think with. Your mind is where your chooser is. Your will, your volition. It's your mind. We all live by it. If the devil gets this, he gets you. Hath God said, what was the purpose of that? Thinking. Question God. Well, he did say, now you think that's what he meant? Who do you think the author of confusion is? Confusion is called an evil work in the scriptures. The devil's behind it. To make God out to be the bad guy. Insurance companies do. It's an act of God. Sometimes they're pretty close. It's the devil's work to malign God. To disorient you in your walk. To make you think that the dream that you can dream up is what you really should pursue. That dream will kill you. The only hope for eternal life is Jesus Christ. On his terms, anything else is wrong. Even the religious system you're counting on. If it's not his way, it's the highway. There is a way that seems right. It's the way of death, isn't it? But we have to be careful. We're told throughout the Bible, especially in the books, the little books, that we have to be cautious. We have to be circumspect. We have to be careful. The devil goes about, doesn't he? He goes about like a roaring lion. Yes, God forgave you of everything that he trained you to do. But he still wants to get back in her because he knows where your weaknesses are. And if you don't cleanse your house, if you don't reestablish yourself spiritually, if you don't make those hard decisions you have to make, and if you don't quit being so sorry and so, why can't do If you don't quit doing that, he's going to stay in that house. He goes, he goes about seeking room where he rests. He comes back from the house in which he had to leave, didn't he? And he comes back seeking rest. He's wanting to find a place to get back in there, get you frustrated. Blame your wife, blame your husband, blame your kids, blame the system, blame the preacher, blame the church, blame anybody. Oh, honey, it's not your fault. Oh, sir, it's not your fault. Just something to make you think about you. Because life is all about me. 
That's why Jesus said we got to go to the cross. Me has got to die. All that stuff that centers around you keeps you from God. And when you're told to give it up, you can't give it up. Look at the rich man. He grieved. Oh, as hard as I work to get that, you want me to sell it on, give it to the poor? He didn't tell every rich man to do that. He told one to do that. He couldn't do it. He was attached to it. Who do you think was behind that? There was a philosophy in that man's life about money makes life. With money, you can make it. Without money, well, you have nothing and you'll be nothing and nothing. That's the devil's work. So how in the world is the word going to set us free? By pointing out our errors and our faults and our weaknesses. You know what the first sermon Jesus ever preached was? I know you do if I start quoting it. In Isaiah 61, that was his first sermon. He preached the first three verses. And in those three verses, he said that he came to do three or four things. One was to set the captives free. To open prison doors. Could he be talking about us here this morning? Maybe. Sure he could. No doubt. This is what he came to do. The message that Jesus brought was a declaration. I have come to undo the works of the devil. He said that in 1 John 3. He said, for this cause, he came into the world that he might undo what the devil did. Now, we're reading about it. We're discovering all of these things because we want to be set free. And how are we going to do it? Through knowledge. Turn to Proverbs, if you will, for a moment. Proverbs 11. Is it a good thing for God to reveal your bondage? You are a sensitive soul. You are so sensitive that we have to be careful whatever we say around you because you'll start pouting and you'll go into a dark hole if we're not careful. Isn't there something wrong with you? Isn't there something wrong with a person like that? Well, of course there is. We're supposed to be free. We're Christians. We may not be perfect, but our message that seems to have been hidden from so many, is alive with ways to be free, with words of power that come to set us free. Jesus said he watches over his word. He sent his word to do something. One of the things he said it does is to deliver us. Are you talking about the just or the unjust? Well, look at the second part of verse 9. He said, through knowledge... Something will happen to the just. What did he say? Through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Are you telling me that the just may need to be delivered? Or is he just saying that those who were made just were delivered by knowledge? Well, the thing about that is that you can't know much before you get saved. You can know you're a sinner and you can know how to be saved. But that's just for a moment. You got a lot of stuff to deal with. It's going to take time. You're going to have to know something. 
something that God has told you to know or shown you or given you to know so that you can hold God to that or, or put him in remembrance of it or claim it because that's what God watches over. And so that's what you're going to count on. Lord, I need to be loose from this. Pouting, sulking. Are you married to one of them? A spendthrift that can't control your spending? Anger outburst? Lazy? Should be having Christian testimony about your life. And, and look at your life. And it's that way because you're lazy. Is that a sin? It would be for you. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it's sin. It's a flaw. It's something you tolerate and you allow to take place in your life and you sort of either exempt yourself from being able to do it or it's not such a big deal, God wouldn't hold that against me. So we take liberties with stuff like that and therefore sin has dominion over us. But he said, it's through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Now let's go back to John. The word knowledge there is a common Greek word used many times. Genosko. I'm sure that's important to you. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. You shall learn, be made aware of. Come to know, receive knowledge of. It's just the learning process. In the learning process, you will be made aware of something you did not previously have or know. And this something that you're going to be aware of that God will show you will become something you know. Now, if you're willing to deal with that, that piece of knowledge will liberate you, which is what the word free means. It will liberate you from something in your life that just keeps holding you down. It just keeps holding you back all the time. Coming here today and hearing, hearing is not knowing. You can hear a thousand sermons and never put it together. Are you with me? You can hear a lot of right accurate things being spoken without understanding it. Because to me, knowledge has its deepest meaning when it brings perception or understanding. And you find yourself going, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. That's when knowledge is powerful. That's when it can liberate you. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 7, this verse describes a problem in Christianity with people who go to super churches, deep churches, theological churches, preachy churches, conservative churches, evangelistic services, you know, all of that. Doesn't happen to all of them, but it happens enough that you can say it happens. Notice, he said these people were ever learning and what? never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They've been taking notes in a good place for 20 years and still can't get it together. What if I told you 
And of course, there'd be no names mentioned. I'll try to make this vague so no we're going to try to figure out who you're talking about. What if I told you that we've been here as a church in May for 33 years? And in the course of 33 years, I met a lot of people who heard enough that they should know better than what they said. You know, they hear things and they, well, what? And I think, where have you been? I do, as you know. That's poor me. I think, when I'm by myself anyway, I mean, I hear this or the phone call, whatever, I think, where have you been? You know better than that. What a dumb statement in light of the wonderful truth that you've been listening to for 20 years or 10 years. How can you talk like, what are we going to do when you've been told what to do for a long time? Why would you want to be worried or disturbed when God says, take no thought? Why would you want to be fearful and afraid when God says, cast all your care over on him? That he'll take care of you. He's got tomorrow in his hand. He's already there. Why would we want to worry if God be for us? Who's against us? Why don't we believe that? Because something in us challenges that. Something said, well, you got to be real here. Now, you got to be real. And your perception of what is real, your understanding of what is real, rules out what God says so that you don't see what God says. You only see what your problem is. The difference between a grasshopper and a giant is that a grasshopper looks awful little when you're a giant. And when you're a grasshopper, a giant is unconquerable. He's too big. But if you were seated in heavenly places as a grasshopper, a giant's just a little something down there. God's big enough foot that he could just, and that's the end of the giant. Poof, there goes another giant. It just depends on where you're sitting and what you're believing. After all these years, how do you see it? How do you perceive it? How have things been connected in your heart and mind? Are you seeing what God is saying? Remember Jesus one time said to his disciples, he said, Is your heart so hardened? Can you not see or understand? Mark 8. He said, Don't you understand? Didn't I feed the several thousand here and have much left over? Didn't we do that over there and have that? Then why in the world are you worried about food? Is there a message there for us? Of course there is. His word is supposed to change us. We used to be fretting, you know, when we're going to, but we're supposed to be different now. If we're not different, we're still bound to something that has controlled us. Something that has been able to manipulate your, your will, distort things in your mind, and it rules over you. And we call that sin. Now, in 2 Timothy 3, where we told you to turn, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, Jesus said that truth will make you free. This word for knowledge here is a deeper word. It has a prefix on the front of to know and to learn. It's epi. And it is a more thorough knowledge. It's a knowledge that has come into play. I mean, it's a knowledge that has an effect upon your life. It's a knowledge that affects 
the knower in their relationship to one who is to be known in a positive way. It is the knowledge that will rule and guide your life. But the problem is, now think of it, just think of this for a minute. They were ever learning, they were ever acquiring bits and facts of knowledge. They were ever forever getting pieces together of things that can be known, but it never came to the knowledge that liberates a man. Why is that? I'm asking you on this church, just for this month, this day will never come again. This day is almost gone for us. I'm asking you today. Maybe there's no more days. But why is such a thing true? See, the title of our message is We Can Be Free. It's about time I give a title. But there's a lot of people who could be, should be, ought to be free, as I started out this morning, who aren't free. My question is, why? And the answer is sin. Something has clouded the issue in your mind. Something has made you think on a different level than God gave you to think. You begin to see it your way. And you do things your way. And all you get is disappointed and certain kind of bewilderment and, oh, God, and then frustration. I go to church. I give money. I did this. I went on a missionary trip. And I, I, uh, uh, well, that doesn't make things work. You can never learn and never get it together. Don't you believe that? I've been doing what I'm doing now in this area from here and around and for 40-some years, 44 years, I've met them, I've seen them come, I've seen them go. I've seen them rise, I've seen them fall. 20 years ago, the giants thumping on their chest, pounding on the pulpit, they're all gone. They're all gone. A lot of the people that listen to that, they're gone too. That's not what God wanted. That's not what he wanted. What happened? Well, it comes down, I guarantee you, it comes down to what God has taught you that you've held on to. Because there's a whole bunch of us that survived in a desert. We survived because we believe the word, not because we believe in a man or somebody who told us about the word. We believe the word. Jesus said it's the word that makes you free, not some superhuman. Not some mighty vessel of God. A man is made free because he believes the word. And the devil attacks the word. He don't want you to know it God's way. So what happens to knowledge? Well, it begins to get clouded and, and everything else. But the key is to understand it. Understanding comes through reflection. We use the word meditation, Psalms 1 and other places about he, he shall be like a tree planted by the waters if he meditates day and night. Do you remember that? Blessed is the man, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf shall not fade. His fruit will be always born in the season. Why? Because he ever keeps before him the way of God. Not just in memory. Meditation involves memorizing. But you memorize things you want to know. As I've said before, people say, how can you memorize so much of the Bible? 
Well, I could say better to you, how can you remember all those birthdays and phone numbers? Because you want to. Because it's important to you. And if something that is to be known is important to you, you'll latch on to it. If it's not really a big deal, you'll let it slide and compliment yourself with either having heard it or, yeah, I remember that, or, yeah, I know what that says. And it never touches your life or your will. Never changes your way of thinking and consequently your choices that you're going to make. But knowledge, when it's really of God, when knowledge, like in a moment, if this is such a moment, if it is, when there is an anointing, and God is speaking specifically to either all of you or some of you. And there's that stirring, that inside stirring that nobody can see. May not even be evident, but there's something stirring in your heart. Something that tells you, you know, you need to tighten up. That's the moment that God is dealing with you. And the word becomes, when it's abiding like that, it becomes alive. You hear it. You think about it. You wake up in the morning, it's still there. Sometimes you wake up in the night and you hear it again. You sit down to read in the morning before you go to work or at noon or whenever you read. And you read it and that word jumps off the page again. Isn't God speaking to you there? And everything that challenges it is sin. Sin is going to have dominion over everybody that it is allowed to have dominion over. If you want to be sassy and in your face and belligerent, you can do that because that's what sin does. You give in to it. You're a slave to it. It rules your life. And somebody gets your parking spot. Oh, heaven forbid on Sunday morning we got a war. Because somebody's out of control. They can't control themselves. That's why next week we'll talk about being free and overcoming. You can't overcome. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. I don't know. But understanding, how many times in the book of Proverbs, I've read this week, <laughs> very many of them, it's, they're all still in there. How many times does a Bible group three words together? Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Knowledge or facts, things to be known. Wisdom is God's instruction on what to do with those facts. And understanding, you begin to see God's plan and purpose, and it just adds peace to the whole process. You start with knowledge. you got to learn. And then with knowledge comes wisdom. You see what you need to do with it. Maybe you need to go pray. Maybe you need to go to somebody and start making some confessions. Maybe you need to grab yourself by the back of your shirt and whoop yourself. Deal with yourself. Get serious about your life. Hate those weaknesses. I'm talking to me and you now. To hate the things that just keep coming back and keep ruling. Things that make you toss and say, oh, why do I do that? Have you ever done that? Wow, perfect church. Nobody's ever done that. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, why did you? Why indeed? Trouble comes to all of us, but trouble doesn't dominate everybody. We deal with it. 
We cast the care over on the Lord. We take an attitude of God, a positive attitude about it. My God shall supply all of my needs. The Lord is with me where I go. Never leave me nor forsake you. And on, 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 on. If the word's abiding in you, that truth will make you free. Because his word is true. That's the way it's supposed to be. Boy, you read the book of Romans. I've read Romans, you know, 6, 7, and 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 1. But I read through there about sin, how it works, the way it works, the frustration in chapter 7 that sin brings, the way it just overwhelms people. Don't even want to go back to church. They mess up. I don't want I can't go. Why should I go? Sin does that to you. Because it's so easy to sin. Like I said, there are sins that do so easily beset us because we're that easy. We're vulnerable. We know better. But what we know didn't set us free because we didn't take it to heart. But boy, when you get serious about your personal life, your character of your life, your personality, how you act, who you think you are, and what you think you are, when you get serious about God, show me, teach me your way, show me who I am and who you are. Like you said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we see Jesus. And the Bible says we are transformed into the same image. Remember that? And Ephesians 4 talks about that lofty goal of growing up into him in all things, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Jesus. Jesus was able to say, the devil has no place in me. Wouldn't it be nice to him to so liberate you with his word that he dominates you now and not the devil? That you give place to his lordship in your life so that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But oh, sin. Look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You can do that. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. The Bible says, it is life. It is your life, Deuteronomy 32. The Spirit comes to give us life. God is life. Just like truth. The word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. God is a God of truth and without iniquity, we say. Jesus said four times, John 14, 15, and 16, that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Everything about God is freedom. Everything about God is to be loosed from everything that's not of God. Draw nigh to God and he will what? Draw nigh to you, resist. The devil, and what will he do? He will flee until he no longer has any more right to you than he did to Jesus. He attacks. He attacked Jesus. He couldn't get in. He was kept out. And oh, 
if God's people would just say, I want to be free and I want to stay free. But you got to know something. The law of the spirit of life. Would you agree with me this morning that God brings life to us? Life that is able Life that contains, when like an alabaster box of anointment, when it's released, it brings freedom? Of course it does. But we have to partake of it. Jesus said, I'm the life. Turn to Ephesians 4. Oh, this is a church verse, Ephesians chapter 4. Deeper knowledge. Understanding of knowledge. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 13. Till we all come. This is the work of the church. This is the work that God, I believe, is doing at least in somebody. Are you with me now so far? Till we Jeff was talking about unity last week. Till we come to the unity of the faith. We'll talk about it next week. And to the knowledge of the Son of God. Does it say that? Are you going to agree with me before we leave this morning that God projects Jesus into our lives as the supreme one to know? That in him is life, in him is liberty, in him is freedom. If any man be in Christ, he's a... What's passed away? Old things. I can do all things through Christ. He's my life. And he said, Till we all come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Nothing less is acceptable. He's talking about the least one in here, which is me. That you can be like that. The measure of the stature of the fullness? Come on now. What's that little song that we sing? Da, 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 da. To be like Jesus, all I ask is to have a little peace on this earth before the other shoe falls. No, to be like Jesus. He was hammered his whole life. He was hated, despised, and rejected by man, even his own family. Everywhere he went, he had no place to lay his head. And he said, I'm the life. I want you to live. Follow me. And oh, how many excuses does the devil give such adoring people as us? Oh, that's not, we can't live that way. Oh, your beautiful daughter would just, she wouldn't shine anymore if she lived like Jesus. What if your son, this super athlete, went to some foreign country and lived the rest of his life in a missionary field and nobody ever knew how great he was? To be like Jesus. No, the devil says, come on, you don't, that's, that's good for somebody. That's not, look at the next verse. Till we all come, he said in verse 13. And in verse 14, he says that we henceforth, that we from here on, from now on, that we no longer be like children. 
What typifies children? Read that verse. What typifies children in that verse? They're unstable. They're easily persuaded. You could dangle a candy bar in front of a kid or a lollipop. They'd jump off the barn. The whole world's about right now. Momentary pleasure. Now. Oh, but he said, we don't want you to be like that. We want you to see the bigger picture. Understand what God is saying. Get through all this me stuff and into him stuff. That we henceforth be no longer like we've been, like children tossed to and fro by all this persuasive junk the devil's been giving us for all these years. That we be no longer like that, he said. But verse 15, we speak the what in love? Truth. Truth. Didn't Jesus said you shall know that? This is what our instruction is, but speaking the truth in love. You may grow up into him in all things. Think of how many people you can't fellowship with with truth. Think of how many places you can't go with truth. There's a lot of things that the truth of God does not allow you to do. But the things that liberate you, liberate you from the penalty of where all of that's going. The psalmist said in Psalm 75, he said, you know, Lord, it doesn't seem to be fair. Look at the rich. I mean, they grow old, they're fat, and that was meant abundance. And they do well, and they don't seem to suffer, and they don't give, and they don't praise, they don't do anything. They don't do anything right. They hate you, and look how well they're doing. And here we are, we're doing our best, striving and struggling. You know what the psalmist came to the conclusion of? He said, then I understood their end. All that stuff that the world has promised, all the glamour and all of that kind of stuff. The end of it is death. You know, one of the things I don't like about my newly acquired Google talents. There's a lot of information you can get from Google. There's <laughs> a lot of information. But sometimes they have pop-ups. And there's a temptation. I have to admit it. There's a temptation. There's one that said, movie stars, how they really look. <laughs> I'm confessing. <laughs> like you never punched the same button, all right? So I punched the button. I don't know any of them. I'd heard the names of some of them, but here's some old, I can't say some haggard hen, because that doesn't sound nice. Or some haggard heifer. I can't say that, because that wouldn't be nice either. So what I will say was, here was a lady, and they probably took the picture on a day she's cleaning house. And then they showed her in her fixed up mode, and my, <laughs> Wow. Uh, you know, the, uh, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how God sees us. Wouldn't it be nice that you are who you are all the time, an aggressive seeker of the kingdom of God, wanting to put God first in your life, do things the way he wants you to do it, and letting his word convict you? Is conviction a good thing? What's the purpose of conviction? Now, this is not the message. I'm just citing a few things. What's the purpose of conviction? 
is to bring guilt. If you're going to get saved or get right with the Lord. Conviction is a guidance thing because your conscience is part of this. But conviction very often leads to repentance. I must say that I'm sorry. I recognize that of what I've been doing, saying, or whatever in my life is wrong. And I see it in the Word. God showed it to me. I intensely listened and followed, and my heart smote me. And I realized that ah, that's a form of guilt. I am guilty. And what does guilt lead to in a saint's life? Repentance. Is it possible that even Christians often need to repent? Then what Jesus said in the beginning of this message is true if I said nothing more than that. If we never made mistakes, if we were never inclined to wrongdoings, we wouldn't need deliverance from these things or we wouldn't be in bondage. But we are. And when you begin to see your faults and your errors, and you got the clear picture of it, you see your sinfulness, then you begin to turn from those things, and the door is open to what we call biblical faith. I know, Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and that he is able. I know he can now. How do you know he can? Look at who he didn't do it for. I don't know about everybody else. I know what I believe. My belief is not based on you. My belief is based on what's in my heart. Because faith is a matter of the heart. With the heart, man believes. And I know, I know now. I know what he said. I'm going to trust him for it. I know in whom I have believed to the point that I am persuaded. If none of the rest of you were persuaded, although none go With me still I will follow. That's my conviction. That's what makes me, if I am, the kind of person God wants me to be. Is a willingness to be convicted. To allow the word to change me. I have to be convicted first. Often my conviction leads to guilt. I am guilty as charged. No more excuses. I am guilty. Now you can deal with it. Now liberation can come, and you can truly be set free. Now in closing, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. As we close, turn to the book of Jeremiah, in the middle to the right. Jeremiah chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, Now let not the wise man glory... In his wisdom, look how smart I am. Y'all should follow me. I'm so smart. No. He said, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his accomplishments. Nor let the rich man glory in his shrewdness and cleverness with money. That's not what you brag about, boast about, or glory about. You know what the Bible says? But let him that glorieth Glory in this. What did he say? Two things. That he understandeth and that he knows me. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Loving kindness is mercy. 
Judgment is fairness, and righteousness is what's right. I love mercy. I like people to be fair, and I like people to be right. That's what pleases God. If you're going to glory, glory in a God who delights in those things. That you know that, ah, and you understand it. Because if you understand it, you won't turn away from it. That's the way it's going to be. Amen. Close your Bibles. And bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to minister to our spirits, to the inner man. The man on the inside that you give revelation to, that part of us. That we would be quickened there, made aware, alerted. That we would see and understand not only what you're saying, but what you're saying about us, about me, about ourselves. And may we have the courage as we leave here to realize that you love us enough to tell us all these things because you want to prepare us for heaven so that we might hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I ask you to give that kind of blessing to all of us that are here today so that nobody can ever escape the fact that you've spoken to them about who it is you want them to know and what it is you want them to do with what they know. Bless us with the courage to do that. I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen.